Well, and we are in our third week of uh, the series called From This Day Forward. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about weddings and how little girls often prepare for their wedding. They dream about it, even at a young age, uh, what they want their wedding to look like. They probably knew for a lot, not all, uh, but for a lot, uh, once they found the person, they were ready. That's all they needed uh, was someone to walk down the aisle with them. They had an idea of what it was going to look like. Uh, for men, we're usually more um, excited about what comes after the wedding and uh, having a partner and being married and everything that comes along with that. Uh, but the trouble often comes with those expectations. The trouble comes when the expectations aren't met and how we handle that. Uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks, he's an author, professor. Uh, he, he says this, uh, People get married with a picture in their minds of a perfect marriage. Then after a few trials, they discover they aren't married to a perfect picture, but an imperfect person. What this realization, when this realization occurs, they will either tear up the picture or they will tear up the person. But when you realize that maybe isn't exactly what you envisioned or what you thought it would be, you either have to tear that picture up of the perfect marriage or or we'll end up tearing up the person we're married to. And so my goal in this series is several things. Uh, One of them is to invest in relationships of those who hope to be married or preparing for marriage. Uh, We want those to go well. Uh, My hope is that we'll help rescue, restore, that God will do something in uh, couples here who are married and maybe feel like their marriage is on life support. They're just hanging on. and And I'm hoping that this marriage just, not that it will fix everything, but at least start a conversation and dialogue about where you could move forward. That many of you uh, don't feel like things are bad, but you just kind of feel like you're roommates. You live together, you share bills, you come home to one another, maybe you have kids together, but but you're just kind of roommates, uh, and that's not okay with you. And so the hope is that something would happen. And there's a lot of you who don't feel like roommates, but you have a a good marriage, but maybe things could be great. What would that look like? And then ultimately, and I know this is difficult because it is a marriage series, uh, but I believe these conversations could help all of our relationships. That, that all of us are engaged with other people, and if we can learn how to do things differently and really better, that all of our relationships will benefit. As a parent, as a child, as a student, as a boss, every, every relationship you have, I believe, can benefit from these things we've talked about. This week uh, will be a little different. Uh, this week will be more specifically geared to those in relationships, uh, marriage relationships, but I still believe that there's stuff that all of us will take away. But this is what I know, is that this series has been tough for many of you. And the reason I know that is because I've talked to several of you. And things are stirred up. Maybe it's either you've been through a divorce or, again, you're on life support and you just feel completely hopeless. And, and some of these things that have been brought up, you're like, man, I wish I had that. And I just don't ever think that it will happen. But it, but it can. And we understand that God is able to do the impossible. Uh, and so I know that this has been tough. It's like picking a scab. It's like something where there's this deep infection and you've got to really dig it out. And it's painful. It's hurtful. If you've ever been to counseling, uh, often it gets worse before it gets better. It's hard as you dig and deal with things. Uh, but it gets better and it, it's, it's helpful. And so that's been my, uh, my prayer for all of us. Uh, but you have to put those things in action. There's no magic pill that I'm being able to give you that would be great. Uh, but these things that we're talking about, you have to do something with them. And so week one, we said, all right, if we're going to do this, if from this day forward, I don't know what your relationships look like, but from this day forward, if we're going to move together into something better, 
uh, there's five things that we're going to have to commit to do. And the first week, we looked at this idea that you have to seek God. First and foremost, most of us seek a spouse first. We seek something to fix us, to save us, to make us feel good about ourselves. Uh, but those things cannot withhold the weight that you put on them. And so he said you have to begin to seek God first, that he has to become one in your life. And then everything else falls in line after that, and your spouse becomes two. And so we said you have to seek the one first, and then really the goal is that we begin to seek the one with our two, that you pray on your own, but, but at some point, somehow, you begin to pray with your spouse. Now, the second thing we talked about last week was this idea that we have to begin to fight fair, that you're going to fight, you're going to have arguments. Things are not going to go well. As uh, Howard Hendricks said, you're, you're not perfect people. And so when you put two unperfect people together, it, it is not always going to work out the best way possible. And so we have to figure out how do we fight? Not, not if we'll fight, but how do we fight? And so I, I gave you some, I believe, some practical things, and that's one, you have to be quick to listen. You have to quit talking. Be, be quick to listen. You have to be slow to speak, and in doing that, we will be slow to become angry. And so hopefully you uh, worked on that this week, this past week. Uh, The third thing this week is uh, I believe we have to commit to having fun, to have fun. Now this will be PG-13, nothing explicit, uh, but if you have little kids who are still with you, we do have a great children's program uh, that you might want to walk them to. Uh, Next week we're going to look at the idea of staying pure, and then the last week uh, the idea of never giving up. So let me say this, since this week is going to be a little heavier with marriages, I was thinking about our lives and how we've become so individualistic. For many of us, uh, the most important thing to us is ourselves. And so what if we looked at the community, if we looked at the people around us, uh, maybe even more important than we just saw ourselves? So if the relationships around you go well, then that speaks well of you. If your kids' marriages go well, if your neighbors' marriages go well, then, then that actually benefits you. And so as we're in this space together, and I know not everyone's married, what, what if it was okay that you're not married but we still are, are talking about this? That you care deeply about the people who are around you. Uh, th- this, in the early church, it, they weren't individuals. Uh, th- there's an account in, in what's called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the First Followers of Jesus. Uh, It's found in Acts 2. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to look at several scriptures today, but if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one. Uh, They'll also be on the screen, but Acts 2, 44 through 47. This is the early Jesus followers. This is how they were described. It says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods They gave to anyone as he had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor or the grace or the presence of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They didn't just do it on their own. They didn't just come in and leave. But but everything they had was kind of disposable to the group. And so I, I think we're, uh, we're at a place where we have to understand that we're in this together, that, that we have to love one another. So we talked about that, love God, love people. That's loving each other and wanting what's best for each other. And so this morning, maybe some of this won't apply to you, 
Uh, but maybe it applies to someone you know. Maybe you pass on this message to someone. Maybe you encourage someone. Uh, but we have to do this together. That's why we do what we do. That's why we read over at Coldwater. Because when those kids' lives go better, then our lives go better. That, that we care deeply about what's happening in our community. And so you're not alone in this. No matter where you're at, no matter what your journey looks like, we are in this together. And so we should care about the marriages around us and invest in them. And so this week, as we talk about having fun, um, begin to pray that this happens. I, I truly believe this will be one of the most important weeks that we have. Uh, and as we head into this, uh, watch this, this video. So here, here's the thing. Love should be fun. It should be fun. Marriage should be fun. Uh, I was uh, in our small group last week. We had a couple who, who was in the group that had been married 50 plus years, and we applauded them. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of reasons I think we do that, but I think deep down, if you're married or you, you want to be married, that's what we want. That's what we want. We, we want our lives to be fun. That's what we signed up for. No, none of us signed up for marriage. None of us committed to that, to not have fun. For life's um, to be difficult in the sense of we don't want to be with the person. No one gets married to be miserable. Nobody. Uh, Craig Rochelle, we're using his book from this day forward. He's a pastor in Oklahoma. Uh, he says this, Without romance, without adventure, without physical intimacy, without fun, marriage is reduced to a simply business arrangement. You're like partners in a company, two roommates who split expenses like rent and food, yet living entirely different lives. But it probably didn't start that way. I, I remember when I uh, uh, first started to pursue my wife, Heather, and we had class together in college, and I would see her from a distance, and there was something that would happen in me, and I would often think, oh man, if she would just talk to me, and I would wave and smile, and she would kind of smile back, but there wasn't much there, and so... I knew that Heather was a nursing major, and the nursing majors had to study a lot. Uh, I was a PE major, and so I did nothing uh, with school. And so uh, I never went to the library, but I knew that, that Heather was often in the library. And so I would go and I would pretend to study in the library just to be in the presence of Heather. And we had never really talked, nothing had really ever happened. And so I remember I finally got brave enough to go up and talk to Heather, and I introduced myself to her, and uh, she blew me off. <laughs> now, she'll give a different story uh, about being nervous because she really liked me, but, but in that moment, I felt like she blew me off, but there was something in me. There was something in me that knew I was going to pursue her, that, that she was going to be the one I would marry. But, but here's the deal. I, I, I worked at it. We had fun doing it. Eventually, uh, everything uh, worked out, and, and we went on great dates, and we had a lot of fun together, and we, we dated for a year, engaged almost a year, and we get married, and, and honestly, something happens. Man, it's kind of like if you're a hunter, and there's something in us, like, uh, to defeat something or conquer something, oftentimes we get what we wanted, and it's like, okay, I got it, but we, we kind of quit the pursuit of it, but, but what would it look like if we continued to pursue because what happens is life happens. So we get married, and then we have jobs, and we worry about mortgage payments and paying the bills, and we have kids. And so really the having fun part is just kind of this luxury. Like if we could get time for it, that, that we'll have fun with one another. 
but, but really, it's one of those relationships we have got to pursue and we've got to pour into. It won't just happen. It doesn't just happen by accident. Um, you have to be intentional. And, and so week one, we talked about the idea that someone comes up to Jesus and says, what's the most important thing? What's the most important commandment? And he says, to love God with everything. Everything. Heart, mind, and soul, love him with everything. And then he says, the second is like the first, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, the, the guy in response, you can read this in Luke 10, but the guy's response basically is to say, well, who is that? Who's my neighbor? Who, who do I need to love? And so Jesus tells the story, and in the story, the person he points out is kind of the one that he would have never thought that that's who he needed to love. But as I read that, I almost hear Jesus saying, well, who isn't your neighbor? Who's not the person you should love? And so what often happens is we, we know that, and so we will love the people that we're not close to more than the person that we're close to. Let me say that again. We'll often love those we're not the closest to instead of loving the one we are closest to. So we'll be nice to the person checking us out at the, the store. We'll be friendly to a complete stranger, but something happens when we enter the door. Whether it's with your kids, or with your parents, or with your spouse, really we're not loving our neighbor. We're not loving those people who are in our own home. And so what, what happens? Where, where do we go wrong? Something has to get in the way. And what happens is we don't choose, if you're married, we don't choose to continue to pursue our spouse. Or something else slips in the way of the most important relationships. Uh, I'm trying to practice what I preach. I don't want to tell you anything and then not try to apply it to my own life. And so uh, Heather and I tried to have some fun this week and we got away Friday night uh, to a bed and breakfast down by Washington, Missouri. And the next morning, we get up breakfast, uh, for breakfast, and we have breakfast with a couple from California. And we're just talking about life and j their jobs, and they're just kind of sharing. And at one point, they were talking about how they lived in Chicago, and the husband said he was gone Monday through Friday. And this was the statement he made. He's older. His kids are in their 20s. He said, it was a real mistake to do that while my kids were little. It was kind of like the, the conversation went to a really deep level in that moment. And then the wife said, yeah, on the weekends, it felt like my kids didn't even know him and didn't want to be with him. And for me, I mean, that's just kind of this picture of something else just slips in, and it usually isn't really obvious. But something slips in and gets in the way of our really most meaningful and important relationships. And so I think if you're here today and you are married, if you're here and you want to be married one day, this is something we have to really make important that we have to pursue each other, and the idea of having fun with one another. Uh, I talk about this guy named John Gottman, who is a psychologist, and last week we looked at the idea of fighting fair, and so he puts these couples in a love lab, and he watches them for an extended period of time, and he watches them do life together, and he studies them, and he's done it for 40 years. And he says he can watch an argument start, and within three minutes can determine where it's going to go on a 96% success rate. And then he says he can look at a relationship, he can look at this couple and over a period of time to a 90% success rate, whether they'll be happily married or divorced. And so he says is he, he watches them and he observes them. And one of the most important things is how they argue. And so we looked at that last week. But this is what he came to in his conclusion. It says this, I know that the key to reviving and divorce-proofing a relationship 
is not in how you handle disagreements, but in how you are with each other when you're not fighting. The foundation of my approach is to strengthen the friendship that is at the heart of any marriage. John Gottman says, look, you're going to fight. It's going to go well if you learn how to fight. But really what's most important is do you like each other? Are you still getting to know each other? Are you building a friendship? Because when the fights come, and they're going to come, how do you handle them? How do you recover? Are you pouring into one another and becoming friends? And this is important, and scripturally it's important. It's important that you enjoy and have fun with your spouse. This guy named King Solomon, we, we look at the Proverbs, and he's one of the wisest men of the, the day, and he had everything he ever wanted. If he wanted it, he got it. Uh, he writes something called Ecclesiastes, and he starts out in the beginning. He says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's encouraging, right? He's basically saying everything under the sun is not really going to matter or give you fulfillment. It's all meaningless. But he makes this statement later in chapter 9, verse 9. He says this, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. The interesting saying, everything's meaningless. Your days are meaningless. But in the midst of all that being meaningless, enjoy life with your wife. Have fun. It's important. It matters. So life gets busy. Things happen. And you see it as a luxury, but, but listen, we, we can't, if you're married, we can't afford not to do this. We can't afford not to. And so three things I want to help you with. Uh, so I said earlier, a guy named Craig Groeschel wrote a book, and it's kind of the skeleton of this series, and uh, these are his three main points, and then I put my own uh, muscle and flesh um, to this. But the first thing that we have to do when pursuing each other is to do this face-to-face. To do this face-to-face. Uh, are you communicating with your spouse? Do you actually have meaningful conversations? And, and you know, when you start dating, this is easy. This happens. Uh, maybe you can think back when you started dating someone and, and you remember maybe you talked for hours on the phone. Now you just text a million times in a month. But there's this communication that takes place with the person who you're with. But, but really, our communication, as we read earlier, it just becomes like a business transaction. Hey, this is what our week looks like. This is what you need to make sure and do. This is what the kids have. This is the bill that needs to make sure and get paid. Oh, yeah, don't forget, this is happening on Saturday. Okay, see you later. And that's the only communication that, that we have. But, but we have to have more meaningful conversations. This isn't what caused you to fall in love in the beginning, that this isn't what made you pursue the other person. I don't think anyone left a first day and thought, I can't have a conversation with them. They're boring. We have nothing in common. I can't wait to go out again. Right? That doesn't, that doesn't happen. There's something that connects you in communication. There's something face-to-face that, that happens that's meaningful, that's important. Maybe. Maybe you used to say things to your spouse that was meaningful, that was encouraging, that was uplifting, that was supportive, that you built them up. Does that still happen? Do you speak words that bring life to them? Do you set time apart where you're 
turning off the TV, that you're putting your phone away, that you're putting work down, that you've put the kids to bed and you actually have conversations? Do you know the desires of your spouse? Do you know the hurts and the hopes they have right now? Do you know what they're worried about right now? Are you spending face-to-face time? Uh, There's a, a, a book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon. I would highly recommend you reading this. Um, that this is extremely raw and emotional and um, somewhat explicit. Uh, but it's about two people, the beloved and the lover. And, and it's this picture of the beautiful reality of marriage. Uh, actually, in ancient Israel, a Jewish man could not read this until they were 30 or married. Uh, even today, young boys will not heard this, uh, hear this read until they've had their bar mitzvah. That's what's in this letter, and uh, we're going to look at this just a little bit. So here we go, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, 1 through 6. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, 1 through 6. Now this is the lover speaking to his beloved, and this is what it says. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a round goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. That's the weirdest of of all of this. I read some stuff, just side point. He basically says she has a beautiful profile that draws the attention of everyone. It's beautiful. Uh, Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like the royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, O love, with your delights. He's good. He's good, right? Now, what he's doing here is, and you could read into this, couldn't you? Oh, he just wants something. But does he? I mean, what if this was just words and and, and wanting his beloved to know how beautiful she is? To communicate and say, this is what I see in you. You're worth me pursuing. That's good stuff. That's happening face to face. Come on, if we were just even partly this smooth, right, man? If we could just even just say a few encouraging words, I wonder what this would do to our wives. One of the things that I learned early on is this teaching that we all have this love bank. And we all make withdrawals and we all make deposits in all of our relationships. So here's really something that's applicable to all of us. Uh, You are making deposits or withdrawals in every relationship that you have. If you're not making deposits, the withdrawals are going to be more difficult to make. Just think about it in your, your checking account. If you don't have anything in your checking account, it's going to be really difficult to pull anything out. And so the more you pour in, the more deposits you make in this love bank, when when the fighting happens, when the difficult times come, it's easy to withstand because you've poured into it. You've made deposits. This is what the guy's doing. This is what the lover is doing to his beloved. He is making massive amounts of deposits. So let's get away from marriage just for a second. And parents... Are your conversations with your kids always what they're doing wrong? Is it always trying to correct them? Are you making deposits of love into their lives? Teenagers, 
Are you doing this with your parents? Are you telling them how you appreciate them and you love them and you're thankful for them? That this can happen in business relationships. This can happen with friends. Are we making deposits? Because withdrawals will happen. And so the, the first thing we have to do in this idea of having fun is we have to get face to face. We have to do life together and have good conversations. The second one is to be side to side. Side to side. This is the woman's response. Song of Solomon 7, 10 through 11. I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. Come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. She's saying, hey, let's be together. Let's enjoy one another's presence. So he's made these massive deposits into her life, and she says, man, I want to just be with you. I want to go off and be alone. I want to go on a date. How good would that be for many of you to actually date your spouse? It may not have happened for a while. But what if, you, you may not have anything else I say, what if you today, you scheduled a date? You scheduled a date. And you spent time side by side with the one whom you've committed to, the one that you are supposed to be pursuing, the one you are building a friendship with. You used to. You used to date. You used to pursue one another, and it was good. So pick a night, protect it, find a babysitter. If you have small kids, find someone else with small kids, trade your kids, do whatever it takes. And here's something, maybe you were happily married forever. Maybe unfortunately you've lost um, your spouse, and I can only imagine how difficult this series is for you. Maybe you're single and and not married and you're okay with that. What if this was a way to invest in someone else's marriage? And you said, look, I know this is important, and so let me keep your kids. Let me take them for you. Students, this is a great opportunity to invest in people's marriages, to watch someone's kids. This is important. The woman says, man, you have poured into me. I feel loved, and because I feel loved, I want to be with you. I want to be side by side doing something with you. But this is hard. This is hard sometimes because it's maybe been so long, communication is difficult. Being with each other is almost awkward. I read something the other day that talked about we pour so much into our relationship with our kids, our life revolves around our kids, and then our kids grow up and graduate and leave, and we're left with our spouse, and it's like, I don't know you anymore. I don't know you. So let's start Heather and I, this uh, Friday, we go off, and we don't have our kids, and we have this puppy, and so we didn't have to worry about this puppy, and so we're like, oh, Saturday morning's going to be great, we can sleep in, and we didn't. We decided to get up at 6.30 and run. I don't know what we were thinking, Uh, but we got up, and we ran, and so we were by the Katy Trail, and so we get in our car, and we drive down, and we park at the Katy Trail, and so we walk out to the trail, and we can either go right or left, and it really wasn't that big of a deal. We're like, let's just go this way, and so We start running, and we're about a mile into it, and I realize that there's this beautiful sunrise behind us. It's a beautiful sunrise. And the whole time, we're running kind of into this uh, dark, it's kind of a gloomy feel, and and the whole time behind us is something that's beautiful. And here's the thought that I had in this moment. I even said something to Heather. I said, man, we should have ran that way. Here's the thought. We kind of look at life sometimes as uh, just riding off into the sunset that everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be beautiful, but really, really what's going to make your marriage work is to when you run together into those times where it's not into the sunset. 
It's the everyday experiences with your spouse where you say, I want to be by your side. This woman, the beloved, knows her husband, loves her because he's made it evident to her with his words. And she says, man, I I feel that and I want to be with you. John Gottman says this in his book, turning toward your spouse in the little ways is also the key to long-lasting romance. Many people think that the secret to reconnecting with their partner is a candlelight dinner or a by-the-sea vacation, but the real secret is to turn toward each other in the little ways every day. A romantic night out really turns up the heat only when a couple has kept the pilot light burning by staying in touch in the little ways. Right, so, so maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Here's a guy who's looked at marriages for 40 years. And, and he says, you know what's important? You daily are investing in each other. Now, scripturally, what do we hear? Uh, there's a guy named Peter, and he says this in 1 Peter 4, 8. Peter was a follower of Jesus. He made all kinds of mistakes. At one point, Jesus says, look, I'm going to build my church on you, and uh, that, that happens. Peter has an amazing life, and and Peter writes this letter, and he says this, Above all, before anything else, love each other deeply. Now, this love is an agape love. This isn't an uh, erotic love. This isn't an unconditional love. This is a brotherly love. This is a friendship love. And Peter says, love each other deeply as friends. This is all relationships. But then he gives the because, and this is always good. He says, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Look, there's moments in your marriage that have not been good. You've got baggage maybe, there's been mistakes, and there's been fight. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But, but there, there might be. And so Peter's saying, look, above all, love each other. Pursue one another. Be friends with one another. Why? Because when you do that, the mistakes, the sins... Love covers those things. This love is powerful. And so if, if you feel like you're on the brink of divorce, if you feel like things are just not going well, you're on life support, what if you begin to do this? You pursued each other again as friends. You date again. So you see each other face to face. You spend time with each other side by side. And in doing this, it could lead to the third one. The third one is... Belly button to belly button. All right, so this is uh, this guy, Craig Groeschel's uh, teaching. I love it. It's easy to remember. So face-to-face, side-to-side, belly button to belly button. Physical intimacy is, I believe, vital to a marriage. Now, I know that this looks different in every stage of life and every age, and, and I know it looks different for everyone. But I also know it's important. Now, a few thoughts before we move on and uh, some of the things you might be thinking. And you might be thinking, is it okay for us to talk about this in church? Right? Is it okay? It is. It's actually really good for us to talk about this uh, in church. And maybe not like you've often heard it talked about in church. Uh, the second thing maybe you're thinking is, I don't like my spouse. Uh, I was already struggling with the idea of talking to them or spending time with them. And so being intimate with them, uh, that's not probably even going to be uh, possible. And I understand that. And I'm not taking that lightly. Uh, I totally understand that. Being intimate with someone is to be vulnerable and to fully trust them. And maybe some of those things have been broken. But, but what if? What if you move slow and you attempted to do this? What, what could be rekindled? What, what could happen? 
one problem in marriage is that we often withhold what the other needs. We play this kind of game. And so if we know our partner needs emotional intimacy, if they're not doing what we want, then often we'll not give them the emotional intimacy or we won't give them the fun or we won't give them the, in, the, the relational, physical intimacy. And so we often play this game. That's really a destructive thing to do in marriage is to always play this game. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he gives this laundry list of what real love looks like. And there's a lot of things he says in there, but one of the things that, that I've held on to that I try really hard is that love is not self-seeking. That love is not self-seeking. That to truly love someone is to, to put them above yourself. And so I'm not, please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that just to do it, just to do it. But what I'm saying is it's, it's really meant to be something that's beautiful. That it's supposed to be good. But things get in the way and so that doesn't happen. And so man, let me say this. If you hope the third one will happen, uh, don't skip over the first two. Attempt to be face-to-face and be side-by-side. And so what I really hope happens, and that we could do a series, and eventually we will, but my thought, and as I've worked through this, my my thought was I want us to begin to have a healthy view of sex because I think that's one of the things that gets in the way. And so I want to bring that uh, hopefully this morning uh, just as we wrap up here. Uh, Adam and Eve in the beginning are made, and it's good. Everything is good. God creates and says it's good. And in this, the instruction to the first people is to be fruitful and multiply. It's one of the main instructions that are given to Adam and Eve. This is before everything is screwed up. This is before everything messed up in our world. God isn't surprised by what Adam and Eve do. Okay? God's not looking down and thinking, oh, I never envisioned Adam and Eve doing that. This is God's plan. This is what God intended to happen. And it says this, Genesis 2, 22 through 25. It says, The Lord made, God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought, it, he brought her to the man. This is a picture of a, a wedding to me. Uh, God has this woman, and it's this picture of bringing her um, to the man. It says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. No shame. They were naked, and there were no problems that came along with that. No memories of what had happened, no, no thoughts of what they wish they wouldn't have been a part of. It's beautiful and it's perfect. Now, the, the word he uses here is united, and I've done this with our students. Our students have seen me do this probably multiple times. Uh, but this word united literally means glued together, to be stuck to one another, to cleave to one another. And so Adam is saying, look, the, the intent is for man and woman to do this, to be glued to one another and never to be separated. This is the purpose and the intent of everything before the fall, before everything went wrong. Right, then it's good. And then he says that there'll be one flesh. Now, this one flesh means a lot of different things. This is emotionally becomes one flesh. This is spiritually becomes one flesh, but it also means physically becomes one flesh. And again, it was good and nothing was 
uh, messed up with it. But then something happens. Adam and Eve mess up. They disobey God and the instruction of not eating the fruit from the tree. And everything changes from there. That what was good is now distorted. What was good and pure becomes unclean in a way. Because man puts their hands on it and it becomes wrong. And so three things, three ways we can see sex. One, that sex is God. That sex is something to be worshipped. And this is the, the generation, this is the culture really that we live in. Is sex is something to be worshipped. And so it's in movies, the, the movie that's been out that I'm sure you've read all about, Fifty Shades of Grey. It elevates sex to something that should be worshipped. It distorts what, what it should look like. Pornography, all of this flows through this idea that sex has become God. And as we've often talked about, talk about, anytime sex or anything becomes a God or an idol and takes the place of who God is and who he should be in our lives, it just can't withstand the pressure of it. And so it will always crumble, it will always destroy. And so the, the problem is we've seen sex is God. And people become enslaved to it. So the scriptures talk about becoming enslaved to Christ, to being uh, in, in bondage in a, in a healthy way to him. Well, well, when sex becomes God, we become enslaved to that. And just like any pendulum, when it's swung really far one way, it's always got to swing really far back the other way. And so the other thing that happens is sex becomes gross. It's dirty. It's wrong. And unfortunately, this has been one of the main conversations that the church has had. And so we say things like, it's bad, it's dirty, don't do it. Save it for the one you love. I think, think about that. And I've done enough premarital counseling, I've seen enough young couples get married, and, and if the, the female specifically has saved themselves, it really can be a destructive thing. Because there's the expectation that once you say, I do, something flips and you no longer see it as gross. And so it can become really dangerous and really destructive. And so we want to get back in the center of what God's design of it is. So it's not to be worshipped, it's not a God, but it's not gross, but it's a gift. It's a gift, something that God ordained, that God came up with, that God said, look, you're going to become one flesh and it's going to be good. It's going to be holy. There's going to be purpose to it. That, that you're going to feel united with the one you've committed yourself to. That, like I said earlier, you can be completely transparent and vulnerable before your spouse. This should be fun. This should be something that God has put into our lives when we are married. So it's important it's important that we get face-to-face. -face. It's important that we get side-by-side. -side. But it's also important that we pursue the physical intimacy, that belly button to belly button happens. Having fun, I believe, could be a catalyst to saving some marriages. And it's going to be hard. And so you have to have conversations. You have to figure out what it looks like for you and your spouse. But it's good. It's good. I was thinking about how difficult this is and, and where you're at in life might not be a place where you want to even do these things, any of them. Um, but but here's, here's what I was thinking. If you want your relationship to look like it once did, 
the good things. We, we might have to start doing what we once did. Husbands, when you pursued that woman, when you pursued the one you were going to marry, let's go back to that. Wives, when you were able to be pursued and you pursued in return, what would it look like for us to go back to that? I have hope. I have so much hope for marriages. I might be naive, but I'm holding on to hope. And John Gottman in his book, and this is what I'll leave you with, he says, I think far more marriages could be saved than that are. Far more marriages could be saved but it's going to take some hard work. But the good news is it could be a lot of fun. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for an opportunity to wrestle with some things. Uh, God, would you help us not to just let this be head knowledge, something we hear, but would you help us to put it into action? Uh, God, would you help a lot of the relationships here who have some baggage that come along with some of this stuff, uh, would you begin to help them love one another and bring healing to their relationship? Uh, It can happen. The impossible is possible uh, with you, God. And so would you help that uh, become a reality for so many couples here today? Would you be with uh, those who aren't married but hope one day? Uh, would you help set them up for success as they begin their, uh, their lives down this road? Your grace, thanks for being a part of every part of our lives and that, that things aren't separate, but every, every uh, thing that we deal with in our lives comes underneath you and that you care deeply about us and our relationships. Help in Jesus' name, amen. amen.